Hey, welcome to the Muso podcast. For those of you who don't know, Muso is a gig booking platform that connects hirers and artists. I'll be interviewing some incredible guests and uncovering their secret tips and tricks to hopefully give you a better understanding of the inner workings of the music industry. Welcome back to part two of our chat with Phil and Mike from Untitled Group. Last week, we discussed how they got started in the club scene and the way they grew their following into the powerhouse that it is today. This week, we'll go deeper into the difficulties of running a New Year's festival, as well as other projects such as Ability Fest, Pitch Festival, and touring with the likes of Wu-Tang Clan. Let's get into it. I remember the first pitch too. Like the lineup was pretty, you know, astounding. I actually never seen a lineup like that with so much quality across the board. How did you guys pull that one together? Um, uh, the, there was uh, a combination of, I mean, back then the events um, was run between ourselves and Novel and Novel yeah. played a large role in a lot of those bookings at the time. And I think the big thing with pitch in terms of, um, the lineup every year, it, it sits in a really convenient date, I think, for those artists, okay. um, those European house and techno DJs. Yeah. Um, they, European summer will traditionally kick off earliest May. That's when at least like nightclubs are kind of starting to get like, you know, everyone kind of moves there um, and stays there for the next three to four months. So then over New Year's Eve, you kind of, you run into competition, um, I know with Beyond the Valley, we traditionally book kind of eight to 10 of those top tier kind of Peggy Goo, Honey Dijon, Dennis Salter type, um, you know, electronic artists for the dance tent. Yeah. And um, we'll, we'll struggle to get more than that just because they're either being booked out in Vegas or somewhere else in North America for a big New Year's Eve party or Europe at a nightclub or yep. you know, wherever it is. And then March, Labor Day weekend, it just sits in this really convenient spot where they're not doing anything. Uh, well, yeah. you know, not all of them. A lot of them are touring and writing music and stuff. But I mean, it, it, it's it, it kind of sits in this spot where there's there's not like um, you know a million other festivals being promoted on the same weekend across the globe. It's it's just kind of the perfect time to come to Australia if your touring schedule is so reliant on a big European summer yeah. um, and a big New Year's Eve in North America. It's just like the perfect time to come here. So um, that's. You know, obviously, Pitch is a pretty special and unique brand, and the programming is, has been fantastic in previous years. But the um, the date does play a large role. I'm okay. not going to lie. A lot of them are just available then. <laughs> uh, I think also one of the main things that I mean, you look at Pitch as a product, and this came this came about once again just through being going to so many overseas festivals, and yeah. there's so many festivals that are just electronic music that. Electronics, such a you know, has got so many different other subgenres within it that you can literally, you know, you've got your house, your techno, your soul, you've got your um, and I guess with Pitch as a product, it's probably the first festival asset here in Australia that's gone really as you know far left field and and, and really that European inspired yeah. uh type of event that that really does take uh, an event like that to get the bulk of numbers to get the mass of people to get those artists to come down here. You know, a lot of artists that we've had, like, you know, Maceoplex recently hadn't been back to the country for, you know, over five or so years. Yeah. Sven Vath before that for five plus years. And then a lot of debuts for Fatima Yamaha, Dennis Salter. Um, you know, these artists. Even some of the live, the, the crossover live electronic artists, like Floating Points and Mount Kimby in the second year were two that, like, I think a lot of people, you know, they're, they're very popular within their own right. 
and they're amazing artists. Uh, I consider Mount Kimby to be one of my favorite bands of all time. And they, um, it, it's kind of that that crossover electronic live element to pitch, which I think makes it special. Even, um, you know, even on the local front, Hiatus Coyote last year. Yeah. Uh, sorry, this year's event performed one of the best performances I had seen on stage two across, you know, the last four years of pitch. Yeah. It was, um, yeah. And, and, and back, yeah, you, Phil, you hit the nail on the head. That, that live electronic crossover, probably the best act that I've ever seen a pitch was throwback to year one, uh, Icelandic duo called Kiosmos. Yeah. Some people might know Olaf Arnold's from his solo project, the amazing pianist. But um, Kiosmos is this amazing Icelandic live electronic band that, you know, wouldn't necessarily have the opportunity to just come to Australia and do shows if it wasn't for a festival like Pitch existing that yeah. carries the weight of, I guess, the, the fee that an artist needs to travel over here. So, you know, those sideshows, you know, they had amazing reception to their sideshows. They saw yeah. that as well. But that 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 show at Pitch and the great, the, one of the best things that, about a festival as well is I love it when an artist plays at our festival, but then isn't just quickly in and out of the van and goes. They stick around to see the festival and, yeah. What artists that came at pitch that year one stayed stayed and watched the other artists' performances, and I know a lot of artists that were there and watched Kiasmo's performance and were absolutely blown away by you know the just just how professional and just beautiful it was, and the sun was setting, and it was just yeah, I can't wait to have them back. That that must be another massive, uh, massively rewarding part of having a festival too, watching these artists that you love and don't necessarily frequent Australia like come out and you know just have a great time at something you've organized like that must be a real kind of point where you go hey this is almost why we do it to see an artist like this come from overseas and you know really embrace the festival that you've created yeah it really does one thing that we really stand by is we don't just do this for economic endeavors yeah um we're 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 there in the crowd watching watching the artist play (laughs) We're, we're not we're not we're not behind the stage you know we're yeah we quite literally are. Uh, we'll pick out the artists that we really want to see as soon as it gets to a point that we can put our radios down and leave it in the capable hands of our, you know, our trusty side team. Yeah, we'll both grab a beer and we'll stand there in the crowd and just enjoy the music. Right, um, and it does. You're right, man. That that kind of that is something that makes it worthwhile. Is when. Solomon decides that he doesn't want to play for us twice, but he wants to play for us three times and he wants to yeah. go to our best friend's house and play an after party or when hang on, Salter hang on. To- what, what, do, what do you mean Solomon wants to go to your best friend's house and do an after party? Tell me about that. <laughs> you know, I might handball this one to Mike oh, okay. well, well, so well. well credit, credit, to, credit to his stamina because so we had, and this is actually funny, you touched on the launch of Untitled. This was the first event that we said, all right, we're coming up with the brand name Untitled. Uh, we did our wool store warehouse party in Footscray, an amazing heritage listed building 10,000 square meters all under one roof yeah wow. where he came to near those events and um it was the first time solomon had been to australia in you know five six years once again and uh, we put on this amazing event for him i remember picking him up at the airport that was what 7 p.m that night what's he like just to chat to and uh yeah no, yeah he, cool he, was, he yeah. was a great guy he, he, was, he was a great guy he was sick just, you know, he was he was it, just it, it, it was actually funny with our team um i guess the, the partners and the staff we usually in terms of the tours and events we usually split up you know team one effectively let's call it i don't know tom and lozzy working on this event or whatever it is um you know wildlands etc mike and i kind of got handed this one we just when we were kind of delegating who would oversee what events yeah so mike and i are like cool this is going to be like let's <laughs> let's really get creative here like you know the whole warehouse thing let's let's yeah. get this six stage design with the rings and stuff but then when it came to the day we we're like solomon it's been so long since he's been on australian soil and he was one of our um, highest requested artists for untitled group and we were like we're going to launch the brand through this 
So I was like, Mike, on the day, let, so we spent the morning on site just checking off everything, um, made sure the front gates, ticket scanners, everything was good to go. Checked in with lighting, sound, did a sound test together for the first time in that warehouse. We played Drone Logic by Daniel Avery. Yeah. If you remember, oh, Mike. So and just stood yeah, in the middle of the room and we're like, this is going to be a pretty cool party. Um, <laughs> then we're like, all right, let's split up. Mike, you go to the airport and pick up Solomon because, you know, credit to you, this is why I've chosen you as my best mate. Um, you know, you're a pretty funny guy. You're cool to hang out with and whatever. So like, Thanks, you, go there, you, do, you, you, you go there, you do that and I'll man the fort and, um, really dude, try and dude, actually, I got to tell one, I got to tell one thing. I thought you were going to say do it, it throw it in, uh, but I'm, Mac- I'm Macedonian background and, um, Solomon Serbian. So the languages are very similar. And Phil's like, oh, just greet him in Serbian, greet him in Serbian. And so, like, so he gets he gets he gets off the jet, he comes over, and I greet him in Serbian, and he kind of like like just like just pats me on the back, and then goes and speaks to his manager in German. I go, of course, he lives in Germany now. He speaks German. He doesn't give a fuck about that. Just totally, totally ignores me, and I'm like, all right, off to flying start. We then, sit in, we, then we then sit in the car, and I shit you not, Solomon takes the front seat. And I'm in the back and I forget to change the radio station. So Fox FM's or something's playing. Yeah. And Taylor Swift is blaring, but nobody's changing the radio. <laughs> so we're driving, we're driving to the wool store and in the background, I wear long shirts, wear t And I'm like, I'm in the car with Taylor Swift. What's going on? But thankfully he played the most amazing set to that wool store. He must've been buzzing because the crowd roars 5,000 people, you know? Yeah. And then, he comes off stage and, you know, we pour some drinks and he goes, that was amazing. There, uh, What's happening now? Yeah, he, and really, going, well, he really appreciated the pretty. Yeah. He, he, he came off and he said it was one of his favorite shows yeah. that he's ever yeah. played purely just because of the, the venue itself, the warehouse, which, uh, that, which no, had its like scores. Like, during the it, set, he had bloody water dripping on his head because <laughs> we spent hundreds of thousands of dollars patching up that that show. Like, like that, yeah. And those shows are a perfect example of a passion project for us. You know, you see that amount of crowd and an artist like Solomon and the level of production you know that we, we we made absolutely no money off that show, but it was you know one of those checkpoints in time that we will, and I hope a lot of people in Melbourne and yeah. you know, the world will look back around. And when I say the world, so after Solomon played at the warehouse, he went and DJ at XC54 from midnight till 6 a.m. Yeah, even though the clubs meant to, uh, the clubs closed now, somewhere to say it, but uh, the clubs meant to close at 5 a.m. <laughs> 5 a.m. But we we shut the doors, and I'll never forget when he finished up, and I went up to him and I said, um. Oh, so yeah, do you wanna do you wanna come have an after party? And he said, Do you have speakers? I go, Yeah. Do you have decks? I go, Yeah. Oh. I goes, Okay, let's go. Oh. Goes, let's go. <laughs> we have mind you, we have none of those. So, so, so throw it over to me. He calls me up and I'm at home by this point and I'm like I have a couple of friends over and I'm I'm just ready to to call it. And Mike's like, he's like, dude, you're not gonna believe it. And and by this point, I think everyone's kind of heard like the great myths of Solomon playing at like villas yeah, in, an, um, in Spain on an island you know, all day and like a big kick ons. And I get this call from Mike and he's like, it's, it's happening. And then I'm, I'm just like, what's happening? He's like, you know exactly what's happening. Solomon wants to play at a house party. Oh Can my please God. come to our house? Can he please come to our house? And at the time we lived with the third housemaid bedroom. He was asleep, and I was like, "This is it's, it's Solomon is Vedran's favorite DJ in the world." So I'm like, hmm, "Maybe he'll be open to the idea." Was, you know, we we had celebrated a successful event at XC, you know, after the event finished at the Wolf, so we went to XC54, popped a bottle of champagne, and we're like, "Okay, it's time to kind of you know celebrate." You yeah, know, we've we've done a good job. 
So I'm pretty wasted. I go I go into Bedron's room. I wake him up. I'm like, hey, would you would you mind if Solomon came here to play a DJ set? And I'm so happy. I'm so grateful that he said this to me um, to this date. He said, absolutely not. There is no way he is coming here to play for several hours to a bunch of randoms that I don't know. It's unsafe. Our neighbors will get pissed off. And I it, it, it was a very sobering moment. I was just like, you know what? You're absolutely right. Go upstairs and one of our best mates, Alex Donnan, is um, <laughs> sitting on my couch and we've got a couple more friends there and we're, we're talking and, and Alex is like, I can't believe he just said no to that. Like, he, yeah, he, this could be like the funnest, like <laughs> most epic after party ever. I'll do it at my house. And I was like, oh. are you sure you want to do this? <laughs> and he's like, yes, I'm absolutely 100% certain. I'll have it at my house. He can DJ at my house. And I was like, I feel like like we sold like 6,000 tickets to the warehouse party today. Like, the, And then XC54 sold out in like five minutes. Yeah. Like, you know, 700 tickets or whatever it was. Like this is a pretty risky undertaking. <laughs> and then he was like, no, I want to do it 100%. I'm in. That's it. So I pick up the phone. I call up Mike. And I say, Mike, we're doing it at Donnan's house. Yeah. Thank God, because I had gone around handing out our address and our housemate veteran who initially denied the party is getting woken up all night by people arriving going, Solomon? <laughs> Solomon here? Is Solomon here? Um, so, no, he's not here. So he was going to get pissed off regardless. He should have just agreed to host the after party, really. Yeah. Um, so so we, um, we end up getting back to that house and probably the, one of the, the, the most iconic things that happened was Naturally, social media, people were sharing video of Solomon's DJing on an ironing board in our friend's living room. So how many it, people it were there? It a bit out of control at one point. How many people were uh, there? 150, I reckon, at one 200, point. 200? Maybe 200 people, I'd say. Yeah, maybe yeah. 200 oh. at its max. We had like really cut down at one point. We, we just did a walk around and we were like, okay, this is actually really bad. Yeah. Uh, surely the cops are going to rock up any minute and be like, you've got 200 people in your house. Um, what the hell is going on? We uh, After getting our friends to man the door, we were like, no exceptions whatsoever, no one's allowed in and then we see a guy there at the dj console with a bouquet of flowers handing it to solomon kissing him on the on the forehead and we were like what the hell we went up to our friends and like we told you don't let anyone in They're like what do you want me to say like he, he rocked up at the door with a bouquet of flowers and said is it true is he really here we could have not let him in the door. Um, so so somebody, filmed, somebody filmed that video and put it up on Mr. After Party. I think it's clocked up over like 11 million views. What time did he stop playing? As I said, I picked him up from the airport 7 p.m. the last the night before and he yeah. started DJing at 8. It got to about 7 p.m. the next day oh. when I was like, I'm throwing in the towel. I've got to leave. <laughs> and um, I've gotten home and we we've, shout out again to Alex Donnan for having that epic party at his house. But he was calling us up by 7 p.m. the next night going, can somebody get Solomon out of my house, please? Like, could we stop? And the only way we were able to stop the party was uh, we had to shut off the power to the house, uh, you know, to avoid angry crowds and whatnot. And, um, but yeah, it was a massive 24-hour marathon sprint for Solomon. And um, we look forward to his return to Australia, which is hopefully going to be soon. Absolutely epic. That is unreal. What's the easiest way for up-and-coming artists to get into a festival like Beyond the Valley and to get on your radar? The local station Beyond the Valley was, it, 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 you know, previously known as Central Park, now known as Dr. Dan's in memory of Mike's brother and a, a close friend of the festivals and longtime attendee of the of the festival who he, he loved attending. Dr. Dan's slash Central Park, it's really kind of like a, 
an opportunity for us to scout our emerging talent, yeah. really. Um, you know, and it, it's kind of started off as in year one beyond the valley, we kind of went overboard. We had overbooked the main stage and we're like, okay, maybe we can, you know, convince some of these um, local emerging artists, these local bands to play on the local stage. And then we started doing that. We created a third stage, which was literally out of a tin shed in the first year. Yeah. Um, a band which kind of defines the correlation between Central Park daily, nightly, and our ambition to constantly scout emerging talent. Um, there's been big words, which um, was our first signing for daily, nightly. We had them perform in the first year. We yep. were like absolutely um, amazed by their performance and the music that were, they were writing. And then we ended up signing them to the record label Daily Nightly when we started it. Um, in more recent times, it's been led by um, two of our teammates, Annabelle and Lozzie. And it's grown from a roster, which was initially just two artists yeah. who um, I think we've got over 10 artists on the label, which, um, you know, a combination of Boo Seeker, Big Palace, wow. Pink Matter, Your Girl Foe, Big Words. It's it's really flourishing at the moment. And full credit to to those two, to be honest. We kind of leave it in the very capable hands most of the time in terms of the day-to-day of running the label and the A&R component and the pitching and everything. But it has had a really big year, actually. It's yeah, had cool. its biggest year ever, I think, you know, just with the focus being less around music festivals, obviously more around recording. And yeah, and, and echoing what Phil said, I mean, you, you mentioned how does a band, you know, get a slot on these stages or not. Yeah. I think one of the biggest things is, you know, how does a band get signed? How does a band get anything? I think if, if a band or something is trying to get the attention of a certain thing as the end goal, that's the wrong approach. It's needing to be doing what they're doing and amplifying that. All the bands that we pick for our Central Park stages or we pick for Daily Nile, we notice on Triple J Unearthed. We notice from a friend going, have you heard this band? We notice for that. So, you know, as much as you can you have an end goal as that thing, only by focusing on you and your craft and then doing that, you get the attention of the peers around you, I think. And I met I met some of the, you know, my bands that I now manage on Central Park. You know, Lastlings had their first gig on the, the side stage at Beyond the Valley. Yeah. Um, and I think um, just not not focusing too much on needing to have a end goal as a certain tick of approval from a certain party or not and just do yeah. what you need to do and that party will take it. What I love about you guys, you're so ambitious and you've got so many different arms of Untitled. Where did the idea of Ability Fest start for you guys? Uh, the idea came from it came from Dylan Orcott. We've been close friends with him for a while now. He um, attended a lot of our events. He, he basically came up with the idea. He's like, I want to do the world's first all-inclusive festival, which is totally accessible for people of all abilities. Mm-hmm. And it raises money for his foundation, the Dylan Orcott Foundation. Through that process, we had learned so much. And it's probably out of all of our festival properties, the property that we're most proud of. Um, we've raised half a million dollars for the Dylan Alcott Foundation. And that, wow. that money is, yeah, that money is used to provide infrastructure resources and education to That's uh, massive, guys. People. That is absolutely huge. Well done. Yeah, we're stoked with that. Thank you. Um, you know, to help support people of all abilities, young Australians who, you know, who, um, you know, of all abilities. And I think with Ability Fest, it, it, it's such a, a heartwarming um, day every year. It really is just such a, you can really feel the inclusiveness with how people interact with one another, how they communicate to each other. Um, we, we do a lot of um, work and um, we invest a lot of money. Uh, well, not invest a lot of money because we spent a lot of time negotiating deals down with suppliers, just being like, Hey, this is for charity. 
can you please provide us, you know, yeah. X, Y, and Z, either free of charge or at cost price. Um, we see absolutely not $1 from Ability Fest, and we, we do it all um, free of charge as Untitled Group. And um, That's, we, wow. we, we have to co- we communicate that um, to, you know, to artists and suppliers and stuff. So it's heartwarming watching them come to the table with the same sentiment and give us stuff like, Flooring and scaffold platforms for yeah, cool. um, wheelchair access use and, and viewing, as well as more accessible toilets and you know sensory safe locations for people with audible um, and sensory disabilities yeah. and stuff. And but well, we we have Auslan interpreters as well, which is always really fun because they you know they kind of perform the sign language or the lyrics, but they also dance around and really get into it. It's always a big yeah. highlight talking point in the day and um yeah it's just um it's 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 been really good it's quite serendipitous actually when you look at our relationship with dylan because the believe it or not the first band that we ever toured in australia was the wu-tang clan what (laughs) yeah yeah so after dylan oh Oh, man bring it on bring it on okay okay so so funny so dylan um got a bit of fame in the media where he was crowd surfing to the wu-tang clan at meredith right he was ghostface killer or something like that yeah ghostface killer got him up on stage and Dylan was rapping yeah um so after beyond the valley year one we wanted to launch our touring division and we're like you know back to back to the old train of thought what's a sleeping giant that's like overlooked a lot of people haven't done in a while and we could just throw you know throw our energy and stuff out and try and convince them like the fucking wu-tang clan no one's <laughs> no one's you know, no one's toured the clan so we managed to get what nine i think nine out of all the members um to the country um and obviously being you know the emerging promoters that we were to save money on touring agents um we all went on tour with them as the touring agents oh so, my god you know, so so i had i had raekwon nick had ghostface killer oh killer. I was with Riza. It was. It was. You were with Riza, yeah. Oh so, man, yeah, it was. It was so much fun. Was it, was it the kind of thing where you had? To, if you booked Riza, then the rest would follow, or was it that kind of thing where it was tricky to get them all out? It, no, it was very. It took a lot of negotiating with the agents because you know it's like you book an act and you book that act based on that brand and whatnot. But this was very kind of subject to yeah. a certain amount of percentage of people coming. And then, furthermore to that, when we're doing their visas, you know, uh, a lot of people have you know criminal records and it's hard to get into the country and. You know, we were really, really proud of that tour and what we were able to do. Um, probably one of the proudest things was that, you know, Wu-Tang is such a kind of uh, iconic heritage act that yeah. you've got a lot of an older audience. But then by paying things like cream and, you know, advertising and whatnot to the younger demographic, we were able to get 18 and 19, 20-year-old kids there. So you had 18 and 19-year-olds and you had 30, 40, 50-year-olds and everybody was there in Margaret Court Arena, um, you know, sold out show. River Stage, Brisbane. It was great. It actually, was, it was quite a surreal moment, actually. Um, they um, because you know we'd been touring with them, uh, eating with them, smoking with them, doing a lot of yeah. things on on tour. And um, they on the final show at River Stage, they brought us all out on stage, and um, went, yeah, these these motherfucking young kids right here, y'all gotta y'all gotta y'all gotta look at these guys right here because he's the future. And it was like it was great. So we were um, they was, called us real- young young woos. They called us. Yeah, it was yeah. really nice. What went wrong on that tour? Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> look at you two. Okay, okay, okay. Look at I you two. I won't name. I won't name names, but there was a, there was an incident where um you know everyone's got their different hotel rooms or whatnot in the thing, and um as you shuffle things around, uh one of the one of the clan members, I was like, oh, you've actually got um you don't need this one bedroom room anymore. You, you've got uh, there's a spare penthouse, so here here's the keys to the penthouse. You can use that. 
Now, I don't think he realized at the time um, that that was his room to use. I think he thought he could just use it for the balcony and whatnot. So, you know, he'd go up there, he'd smoke <laughs> his weed up there and then, um, you know, just enjoy it and then go back and sleep in the in the one-bedroom apartment. <laughs> uh, I was managing a, the support rapper at the time. We had two amazing rappers, Ivan Ooze and Nico Ghost. On yeah, the of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I said to Nico and his DJ were sharing a room. So I said, oh, Nico, it's okay. You can, um, you can yeah, this room's spare. Here's the keys to that, to that room. <laughs> So of course, <laughs> so of course, you know the clan finishes up all having a smoke together and chilling out and drinking whatever. And they're like, I better go to bed, boys. I better go back down to my one bedroom apartment. And all of a sudden, he's knock, knock, knock. He's knocking on the door, and Nico's asleep in his room, middle of the night. And we just hear in the in the in the in the hallway, "What are you doing in my room?" And we like quickly come out, and all of a sudden, the Wu Tang Clan in their pajamas with the support act on. He was in my room, so. So it was one of those kind of quick, quick surreal moments where we're just like, no, 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 this is Nico's a support act and, and pressure sure together. But um, uh, look, in, in the end, we are, you know, and and that was just like one of those kind of pinch yourself moments early on in our career. Um, you know, we we went for something hard, and yeah, the, with the Wu Tang Clan, it was it was such an amazing tour, and I think uh, just from then, even it's 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 great to see how they, their culture continues to thrive and they did those amazing opera house shows and stuff ghostface killer and dylan like they both wanted to see each other again so we kind of we linked it up we brought dylan backstage before the performance and they obviously remembered each other got along like a house on fire and they you know they were kind of he brought dylan out on stage during uh during the performance and stuff it was also it was also the day that we met properly met one of the guys from big words because we had previously booked them for beyond the valley just off of their music but yeah um that day walking down swanson street with ghostface killer because he was doing <laughs> some shopping he walked past kieran lee from big words and saw him busking on the street and he kind of stopped and he started nodding his head and he was really getting into um you know Kieran's lyrics and the, the instrumental that he had playing on his, you know, his UE boom in the background. And then he introduced himself and he's like, man, I really like your music. I, and Kieran was like, I was freestyling that whole time. And then Ghostface Killer was like, I would love for you to come on stage and perform at the show tonight. Wow. So there was, yeah, the kind of two big introductions there. We, we, we got closer with Dylan at the time and started the conversation about Ability Fest shortly after. And Kieran, one of the frontmen for Big Words, got on stage at the end of the Wu-Tang concert, he just goes face killer at the show ended and then he grabbed Kieran who was standing side of stage and he introduced it that way. He said, I met this guy in the city today busking, um, you know. That's an incredible, yeah. incredible story, guys. I'd love to talk. It's definitely worth mentioning. Um, Beyond the Valley 2019, sold out in a minute. Yeah. What's that feeling like? <laughs> we, we were kind of numb. It, it was like, we, we didn't know whether to believe we what we were looking at or not. Yeah, it was like... We, we wanted it. We wanted it for so many years, but then it actually happened. It was right there in front of us, and we were like, "Shit, what now?" <laughs> Did you when believe Phil, it? When Phil, says, when Phil says we wanted it for many years, I mean, literally every year when the tickets weren't, you know, selling quite slowly, we would sit there and go, "Oh my god, I dream of a year where we just sell out instantly, and this, we don't have this stress of, you know." Yeah. And um, when it did happen, and we're watching the computer screen, and like, wait, what the hell? 1,000, 2,000, 3,000? What is this? I actually stepped away from the computer because we had the whole office gathered around Christian's computer. Yeah. And um, I took a fo- I took a really cute photo of everyone gathered around the, the computer. And it was it was a really nice, surreal, uh, once again, a, a kind of pinch yourself moment. Um, but I think it's just a culmination of, you know, the the brand and culture that Boyle Valley has built up over, you know, the last six years combined with, you know, the 
the obviously the whole combined epic lineup. But you know, Rufus and Tyler sitting at the top of that, and you look at both those artists. I mean, Rufus um, brought in the new year at the first Beyond the Valley six years ago. Yeah. So it's really nice to see the festival and uh, a great artist uh, grow alongside each other, and that goes with so many artists on our bill, you know, we've mentioned them all throughout yeah. this podcast, you know, I think, I think uh, actually one, one big one that we've missed a very, yeah. very close friend of mine and Mike, uh, we actually started, we started in the industry with him at the same time as yeah, pub did, promoters. He, yeah. we started running a pub night when Mike and I were 17 years old. This is before we started with Nick Greco. Amazing. Um, yeah. With um, Dom Dollar and his best mate bedroom at the time, it was the four of us running, well, we were running competing nights at the same venue, and then we decided let's not let's fight anymore. It let's, let's just let's just bring it together. Yeah, Dom and I would Dom Bedron and I would DJ every night. You know, Mike sometimes. You know, Dom and I would go back to back, and it was you know it just like exchanged a lot of music, and we kind of always the four of us always kind of wanted to really you know make it in the music industry to some capacity, and we yeah. all we all really started as DJ promoters mainly for the love of electronic music. And Dom played that first BTV closing the dance tent. And yeah. shortly after we kind of, it, it turned into tradition every single year he would come, he would close the dance tent. And it was, um, we'd always look forward to like, you know, 60 to 90 minutes of pure nostalgia. Yeah. Um, in the fifth year of Beyond the Valley and after working with him in other capacities, Dom has just been an absolute, like a, a force to be reckoned with, especially of late. He is just, the, the quality of his, 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 his sets, his performances to the, like, he also used to be, well, he still is a graphic designer. So everything from like the imagery that he uses to the music he produces, it is like, it is just pure class. And it's so amazing to see such a close friend of ours get the global recognition that yeah. he deserves. And, it got to the point um, that, like last year's Beyond the Valley was actually it was a pretty pivotal point where we, we were programming the lineup and we were like, we actually can't put him on in the dance tent anymore. Our, our poor little dance tent will suffocate <laughs> with how many people will try and get in there. Yeah, and we're like, this is the year. So we the program on New Year's Eve was so iconic. It was like Veronica's during the day, um, Rufus at midnight, Dom Dollar closing the main stage and then into Dennis Salter in the dance then. And it was, um, yeah, Dom, Dom set that night was really, um, I think everyone who's been at the festival, even from the roadies that knew him from six years ago, yeah. the same roadies that were, were kind of, you know, rolling on his, his, his gear the first year to the, you know, to now everyone was just kind of standing there. So proud watching the, you know, the whole crowd just scream the lyrics to, San Fran Disco, yeah, and take it. It was like, yeah, it was phenomenal. Yeah, that's yeah. incredible, man. Do, do you guys still get like pinch yourself moments every year? It, it just must be such a buzz, like watching this festival that you've created. And Beyond the Valley is such an experience. You go there and visually production. There's just nothing else like it. Is it kind of blows you guys away sometimes when you get there and you're like, wow, this is this is our baby, man. This is this is crazy. Yeah. And this is where, you know, real credit to Phil here because, uh, you know, we, we all have our different departments that we, we yep. head up and Phil is captain aesthetic and design and really, um, you know, he's not afraid to get his hands dirty, particularly, you know, when he's overseeing the builds of a lot of these structures that he's worked for months and months yeah. um, designing. Um, probably one of the, the best things, and Phil can go into a bit more detail about it, is um, 
you know, when when we we went to a lot of the festivals overseas, as you said, Melton, yeah. going to things like the Doolab at Coachella and going, why aren't people doing this um, back home? And we quickly learned because there's a lot of barriers and red tape and things that yeah. you've got to overcome. And, you know, it's not as easy as just putting up a structure. You've got to look at your, wind, your weight bearing, your wind loading, everything like that. Um, but we looked at it, we budgeted everything out. And it, yeah, it's a lot more expensive than just putting up a, a you know, six pole white yep. tent, essentially circus tent. And we said, but I think that's an investment. Like that's something that people talk about when they come to be on the valley. You know, we still don't know like what the official name is for it, the dance temple, the dance tent, yeah, whatever. Yeah, everyone's got their little names for it, but it looks like a beautiful giant armadillo, rainbow colored thing that just glimpses in the sunset and hosts some of the best electronic artists in the world. And, and, uh, Phil has had a, you know, Phil, as, as I said, Phil is like the, the force along with our, a lot of our contractors that um, design it and get that built. But there are times where we're sitting there three weeks before the the show and, you know, uh, we have to go through all the certain authorities and one with the paperwork and they look at the paperwork and say, no, um, we can't sign off on this. So we're, we're sitting there with, you know, the ready to do earthworks and get the poles in and everything going, yeah. oh, this is it. <laughs> and there's been some very, very close calls where that thing almost didn't go up. It was, it, wow. it's been, yeah, it's, it's been our, like, it, it's been such a joy that stage the last couple of years, but it's also been like giving birth as well every single year. It's like, yeah, it can be pretty painful, but the, um, I think the biggest the biggest thing is with a lot of these structures comes with the like the bureaucracy involved in signing off on it through you know the building authorities here locally because they are they're so different to what building surveyors and engineers are used to seeing and signing off on. It just takes a lot of time. They just yeah. sit there, um, kind of just you know, we, which we kind of you know we've learned to appreciate as as we've matured as um, you know what we like to consider professionals within the events industry, it is better to go over this stuff with a fine tooth comb yeah. 10 times, but it can be a pretty, pretty painful experience when you, you're sitting there the ninth time. And then you realize that the the weight loadings on certain points need to be adjusted like for the fourth time to just make sure that it can withstand gusts of wind of yeah. hundred kilometers per hour, which, you know, in some scenarios you're going to sit there and be like, if we're getting gusts of wind of 100 kilometers per hour, we've got bigger problems than people being underneath that yeah. structure. <laughs> so, guys, I'm really curious to know. Obviously, there are a million things, but what is the hardest thing about organizing a music festival? The, the hardest part, it's every single category can be the hardest part if it's not nurtured and groomed well. It's like if you don't, there, there's certain boxes that are important to tick for programming the lineup um, for a number of reasons, you know, obviously the ticket sales is a big consideration and, um, you know, we genuinely want to provide diversity in our programming. You know, it's, it's something that um, I think all promoters owe it to um, the world to, to put in effort for, but also it it does make things, you know, interesting, you know, it it, it kind of, it it makes things more, um, you know, more broad and outside of, you know, there's that component. And then in terms of compliance, like there's like compliance, what you can do to basically get a ticket for approval and getting a planning permit to run an event. And then what you can do beyond that to make sure that your customers are actually happy. Yeah. Um, we've been like skinned alive for, you know, 
the smallest of things. You know, one of the bars at Beyond the Valley ran out of ice, so I couldn't get my cocktails with ice in it at one point. The, you know, VIP bar didn't have enough furniture. The sound during this band sounded quieter because that artist, tour manager slash team had brought on their own mixing desk operator. And it's like, yeah, there, there is just, you know, it's funny, Mike and I are taking this interview. It's a team that extends far beyond the two of us. Um, mm. And we could by no means take all the credit for, um, you know, not just our business partners and our internal full-time staff members, but all the contractors that have built that festival from year one onwards. The The hardest part, I honestly couldn't answer it. You got one? Yeah, I've got one. The hardest part, we can predict and run everything, but the one thing that you can't predict is human behavior. Yes. And... Uh, we ultimately and we and we ultimately are building a temporary city for four or five <laughs> days, you know, whatever, for twenty thousand odd people. Yeah. So some of the circumstances where you've come across and you've gone, someone's going, oh, I can't get into this uh, shower, and I've waited three hours later. It's like, well, hold on, what's going on here? Why are people only lining up for these showers? There's showers on the other side of the boat, but but you don't realize that people see a line and they'll just patch onto the back of the line. They won't go yes. and explore here. You don't realize how important things like signage, wayfinding, sewerage. Oh, shit, too many mm. people have showered at this hour, which has caused a flood in this point. So, like, the amount of things that are a result of, I guess, you know, human behavior that ultimately can only be weeded out through us trial and error. You know, yeah. our goal is to make Beyond the Valley the most, you know, influential and esteemed festival in the country. And the only way we're going to get there is time. It's not a certain artist that's going to play and it's not a certain, you know, stage we're going to build. It's that constant refinement that's going to get it to a point where everybody's going to come and it's going to feel like clockwork. And, um, yeah. and you know, it's it, it, every year, every year we improve on some things, but there's always new things to fix up. And, you know, we had a few issues um, last year with the, you know, as you said, we sold out instantly, but with the larger volume of people, um, you know, comes comes more issues. And we're committed to stamping those things out and, and just continually refining that event experience. Uh, I think, you know, my, my favorite thing is, uh, punters that are understanding that you're going to a four day festival and we are doing a full 360 of everything for, you know, patron wellbeing is our number one thing that we need to yep. care about. And then of course, we're also running the artists and this and that and the drinks, the ice, the security, the, you know, the amount of punters that are trying to break in on the fences and yeah. the amount of things that we're attending to, it is a full 360, 24 seven operation for four days. And Credit to our, as I said, Phil said, the wider team. You know, a lot of them don't sleep for those four days. Yeah. Uh, to get the job done, and and you know, when when we do wrap up and and we get through with no major, you know, things happening, and then the show yep. was great. We 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 breathe a sigh of relief, and literally Jan first, uh, you know, I'll say the evening of Jan first, we start planning for the next year. We're going, yeah. okay, let's take notes. Remember that fence line wasn't good because, you know, people hit a fence line and they go. I don't want to walk around this body fence. I'm just going to jump this fence. It's yeah. easy to do. Yeah. Oh, people sorry. really do work it out for themselves sometimes. It, it's so it, like the amount of shit that we've caught people doing is like, it, it's, it's, it's actually drunk kind of hilarious, drunk. but, but watching them, the, the, probably the scariest one was during the Veronica's last year when people decided to climb the PA oh, no. stack. So that the, the, the actual delay, um, towers. Oh, so they would climb the fence and then they got from the fence, which was meant to protect it because there was such a wave of people who were going to watch them play. These guys, I don't know why trying to be heroes. They just kind of like climbed the fence and then they jumped onto this 
scaff tower which held the PA jumped on the top and then they were just kind of like swaying everywhere and security was kind of busy somewhere else and then by the time you radio into security they get there by the time they're there these kids are literally on the top of the oh my of the God. delay towers um, and they've got to climb then the security guard's got to climb up there and then one of us is there kind of yelling at them from the down like mate don't be a dickhead like just get down from there it's and that's it's yeah that's that can be frustrating but it it, it does it it comes with it um it's unavoidable phil Phil said it before and that's like the the one thing and you know meredith's obviously their tagline is you know they're dickheads but that's the one thing is you know if if someone's experiencing a problem that is not an intentional output of you know the festival organizers because they're like where we want that fence line to be broken or we want no ice to be available at that bar so you know we we yeah, we, we always strive for the best and we, we like uh, punters that are, you know, that are respect that and in turn mm. are respect for other patrons or not. And the biggest thing that will ruin a, a festival is, is is people that are going to, you know, be dickheads. Ultimately. Yeah. That's it, man. Hey, well, before we wrap up, like, we'll go to the, the most enjoyable part of a festival, which is watching a band. Are there any, can you guys nail down maybe your, your top performance or maybe to, let's go top two that, that really kind of stick out? For you guys over the journey top two that's really hard yeah i don't even difficult. know what it, um i i would say dennis when, salter when, at pitch when dennis at pitch you reckon yeah dennis salter at pitch dennis salter when he closed pitch it was just like two and a half hours worth of nostalgia it was like yep. um yeah, there was a lot of guilty pleasures in there. It was it was really really Dennis, fun. Dennis Salter playing Digital Love, Daft Punk Digital Love at Beyond the Valley last year. Okay. Uh, you couldn't wipe the grin off my face. We literally, I think Phil and I were arm in arm, jumping around in circles. There was just some magic in the air. Everybody was loving that. But yeah, so he he, he gets two of our moments. Great. So next one. Next one. Um, I would also uh, title the creator at Beyond the Valley. Yeah, cool. It was um, as as a performance and just. Um, Everything that went into it, the lighting, his, uh, the way he held him on himself on stage, his voice um, as he's like transformed himself into more of a singer on his new record, Igor. Yeah. Um, it was just incredible. Um, yeah, I loved it. Amazing. And number one, uh, Mike. Mike? Uh, and I've probably got, t- I've got two tied because, uh, yeah. you know, when you listen to a song so many times and then when you hear it live, it's like, it's just a special moment to you, and it might not be the highlight to everyone else. Yep. Um, two of mine. One was a definite highlight was um, having the Kooks play Naive. Yep. Years ago, at Beyond the Valley, just before the new on the countdown, that song was like you know my teenage yeah, just just the teenage jam, and um, I you know absolutely loved the Kooks, and that was a surreal moment. And then probably the first year, Rufus DeSoul playing um, Imaginary Air, my favorite song on Atlas, because you know we are running the festival. We're running around stressing the whole time. The whole time is everything going to get through and making it through to midnight, New Year's Eve, having like one of the final acts play. We breathe that sigh of relief. Yeah. <laughs> Not only that, for it to be one of your favorite bands, playing one of your favorite songs. I was there with my brother and everybody and it, it was just one of those magical moments. And it just started, for some reason, at those magical moments, it always seems to like rain the tiniest bit <laughs> and the lights like kind of create these little gemstones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, then it, if you're going to bring up Yamaha. 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, hey, obviously it's, it's a strange time for festivals at the moment. What are your kind of predictions moving forward over the next couple of years? Um, we're, we're, you know, 
we're not going to return until it's safe. Of yeah. course, um, we're, we're pretty we're pretty strict on that. Well, it, it would be illegal anyway. But um, we 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 kind of we did a lot of work around restructuring what a COVID safe um, compliant event would look like. I think you know there's a lot of promoters that have done it well overseas. Um, yeah. Without driving event series that we ended up canceling because it was just. Um, it was just getting too risky with everything going on. Um, Melbourne heading back into its second lockdown. Yeah, we we're, we're really focusing a lot of our energy and time at the moment into building, um, especially for our bigger festival properties. So like Wildlands, Beyond the Valley, Pitch and stuff. Um, you know, not just the next one, but the one after that and the one after that. We're really thinking ahead right now. We're restructuring the site layouts. We're cool. um, redesigning stages. Where we're spending this time um, on, you know, just building everything irrespective of a return year or date. Yep. Um, so that when we come back, and we will come back, that it's bigger and better than we've ever demonstrated before. Um, and um, that is not just in the capacity of booking some of um, you know, the most exciting lineups that I think we'll we'll have ever booked, you know, before, but also in kind of a site event and creative, you know, the site event and creative facets of each event will will now look very, very different. We've been doing a lot of research and, you know, behind the scenes work with our technical production crew on cool. um, I guess restructuring those festivals. So they, um, you know, we've, we've got a lot of time up our sleeves at the moment. So we're working on the stuff that yeah. usually sits on the bottom of a list because we're too busy dealing with stuff, which is a week away. So it's been, it's been actually kind of exciting working on this stuff because we rarely have the time to do it. So, yeah. And we're also spending a lot of time finding really exciting new warehouses cool. and site locations um, to host some of some events, not just in Melbourne, but um, interstate. Um, and yeah, we, we look forward to sharing those with the public. Amazing. Time is right. That's exciting. Yeah, yeah definitely. definitely. Guys, if I could go back to the first night, inflation, opening on Treehouse, you've got all the props and stuff ready to go. If, yeah, you, could give, yeah. if you could give yourself any piece of advice from now, what would it be? Run your budget first. <laughs> <laughs> Do your budget before you start. <laughs> a, well, well, A, booking your talent and B, building bloody picket fences and buying fake grass <laughs> and all these other party yeah. props. But also before you start promoting the show first and foremost, because then then you have no choice. You, you, you're stuck in it. Yeah, that's probably the biggest thing. Run a budget. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd have to I have to agree with Phil. I'd have to be a double check, you know, yeah, double check your budgets and don't <laughs> don't be so quick to trust everyone. If something's too good to be true, Sometimes it's too good to be true, you know. And that's a, and that and that's and that's a classic saying from from you know your, your parents always say that to you because you you know we I approach everything with blind optimism. Yeah. But you know we did we did get burnt by a lot of people earlier on, and um it, it, you know it taught, taught us very valuable lessons. I'm just happy that we learned them at age 19 and 20, um yeah. rather than having to deal with them now. So, um. And and ensuring that you learn from them, you know, if the only mistake if if we didn't learn from it, you know, so yeah. definitely taking those, taking those on the chin and um and moving forward. So yeah, 
Guys, thanks so much for coming on the Muso podcast. I think what you guys have done in your career is absolutely incredible. This this kind of powerhouse that you've built is so admirable for so many people in different parts of the industry, whether you want to start in booking, whether you're a band. There's, there's so much I think people are going to get from this chat. And, you know, I, I just feel like you guys are just getting started and I can't wait to see what's next. And uh, I can't wait to get you back on. And uh, who knows, maybe Solomon would have been back in the country by then in Wu-Tang and we might have some different stories. Right. <laughs> yeah, who knows? Yeah, thanks so much, Matt. Appreciate it. Thanks so much for having us, Matt. Appreciate it. That was part two of our chat with Phil and Mike from the Untitled Group. Plenty of good stories there. And while I've got you, we'd just like to say a big thanks from everyone here at Muso. We're getting messages of support since we launched a few weeks back from all over the world, emails from Europe and the US. And it's good to know that this is helping young musicians in their development, which is what we're all about here at Muso. See you next time on the Muso Podcast.